Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, wherever you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your guest host, Weston Williams, joined this week by co-hosts Tobias Wright and Matt Cummings. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago, where a... uh and uh, our number is 847-866-WNUR. Uh, so, that, again, that number is 847-866-9687. Feel free to call us, and we might be able to pick you up here in the studio. Uh, all right, tonight we react to yesterday's Super Bowl, where a career backup quarterback in the NFL stepped in for an injured player to win the game. We talk about singers who have stepped in last minute and won over audiences and critics alike, as well as their colleagues, and become a star themselves. Plus, Oliver plays Monday evening quarterback and reviews Bellini's E Puritani at Lyric Opera of Chicago. And then it's the two-minute drill. Everything you need to know from the past week is in, in opera land and our hot takes on those stories. All right, so... Toby? I'm here. I can't believe that George is letting us run the asylum this week, and I'm quite excited, Weston. It's, it's very, very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> and what is your opinion on that, Matt? I really feel like my parents aren't home right now, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I feel like the babysitter who doesn't quite know what they're doing, and it's just like, you know, if you guys were to say, oh, yeah, we're allowed to watch three hours of TV before bed and eat a bowl of ice cream for dinner, I'd probably let you because I'm that much of a pushover. Well, I think it's hilarious that... I've been a part of the show since the beginning. And, and you're, just, you don't get any responsibility. I have no responsibility. <laughs> well, the problem is he knows you too well. I, I mean, know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk some Super Bowl here. Uh, how many of you, well, did either of you watch the game? I did, I did actually. Oh, you did. I did not. Uh, so what happened? Was there a football? There was a, okay, so there was a football game. Okay. All right. Um, I'm with you so far. Them. Actually, so as everyone knows, I'm a giant sports fan. Yes, um, we do know that. And <laughs> yesterday, it was an incredible Super Bowl. There, It was record-setting. Uh, it was the second most points ever scored, one. It was the most combined yards ever in a playoff game, which is crazy when you think about it. So, I mean, it was a record-setting Super Bowl, and what was really cool is it was two teams that performed at a really high level. And I think, mm-hmm. as a sports fan, that's what you always want to see. And mm-hmm. as a human being... What you really want to see is Tom Brady lose, and we definitely got that. <laughs> I'm not a Tom Brady hater like a lot of people are. I'm sure George would like be screaming about it and you know whatever. <laughs> but it's funny because I really respect Tom Brady and the Patriots because to be that great for as long as they've been that great speaks volumes about how they prepare um, and how they perform, which. I, you know, as performers, we have to admire that kind of. That consistency. is true. Uh, as a as a uh, youth, 
I do enjoy the uh, the youth. Uh, I, I I do feel like I'm in the the blossom of my potential right now. So <laughs> I, 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 I I I am looking forward to a little bit of artistic maturity. Um, uh, but before we uh, move into the opera, we'll just get a little transition here. Apparently, there was a bet between Boston Symphony's Andres Nelson's and Philadelphia's Yannick. Nizet oh, I can't pronounce his last yeah, name. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I, I can't do French at all. But they took bets on the Sunday Super Bowl. And um, and if the New England Patriots uh, went, won, Yannick said he would wear a Patriots jersey and uh, to a Philadelphia rehearsal. And if the Eagles win, Anders will get fitted for their shirt, is the quote online. So well, I hope green is his color. I hope it is, too. All right, let's move on to something a little more operatic here. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. All right, so we're thinking Super Bowl. We're thinking MVPs. We're thinking great comeback stories. And as you pointed out earlier, Toby, uh, uh, I mean, you know, these singers are athletes. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of crossover in there. So uh, I was thinking, what what, what are you kind of thinking along the lines of singers as athletes in regards to uh, what happened at the Super Bowl on Sunday? Okay, so what happened was Nick Foles was the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a career backup. Um, And if we equate this to opera, uh, that's like being a career cover or understudy. Mm. Um, We call it cover in opera. I think understudy is more of a theater term, if you will, but uh, all the same. Um, And so what happened yesterday was Nick Foles, for the last actually six games, he, he got to play in all the playoff games, and then I believe the last three games of the regular season, he stepped in for... Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, who is a star in the NFL, who's a, who's a young star in the NFL, I should say, but uh, who has unlimited potential. And as an Eagles fan, I'm sure people, when this happened, when Carson Wentz got injured, they were concerned that their great season that they had put together was just going to be down the drain. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, Nick Full steps in and excelled and himself became a star. Uh, and that culminated yesterday in winning the MVP of the Super Bowl. And so along the lines of uh, equating this to opera, there are a number of different examples where last-minute replacements or uh, covers have had to go on and not only have been put in high-stakes, high-pressure situations, but have really risen uh, and ended up themselves changing the trajectory of their career. And so Mm. I think there are a lot of unique parallels between the athletes uh, especially with what happened in the NFL yesterday, and the performers of the last several generations, you know, since we mm, started. Absolutely. Re- yeah. Yeah, you know, as an audience member, it's stressful when someone comes out on the apron be- <laughs> before, in front of a curtain before the show because you never know what it's going to mean. Maybe the person that you really came to see is going to be out of the sh- <coughs> uh, benched on the performance. Mm-hmm. But these are we have some examples tonight that we found of people who made history by stepping in at the last minute and who – became many of them became like really iconic artists of their generation absolutely um which is what you hope would happen for someone who has the opportunity yeah the opportunity ah! uh, yeah that's right uh, this is the pun zone now that i'm in charge it's gonna be ba- wall-to-wall puns well okay so 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 so, so let's uh, stepping away from the puns for just a moment just a just a brief moment uh, can you think of any per- uh, specific examples um, of those kinds of uh, performances? So one of the greatest Wagnerian sopranos of her generation was Astrid Varney. And Astrid mm. Varney got her start at her her really rocketed to stardom 
was by stepping in in 1941 at the Metropolitan Opera with, I think, 23 hours notice oh, for, for uh, Lotte Lehmann, who was a huge, huge German dramatic soprano like in the early 20th century. And it was in the role of Sieglinde from Die Walküre. An which, easy thing. Yes. A, a, nice, <laughs> a nice short opera for a fresh 22-year-old. Oh, God. 22? 22 that or is, 23. That she, is insane. I, I'm not even a singer, and even I know that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's nuts. So if you're going to talk about athleticism and singing, let, let's listen to this clip. You got it all. You got low, you got high, you got fast, you got slow, you got uh, so much German text. Let's play it. That is uh, quite uh, a, a debut for that. Uh, I, could you imagine being there in 1941 just to, that, to knock your socks what off? What is so shocking about it to me listening 75 years later is that she sounds absolutely rock steady. Yeah. And the yeah. amount of preparation yeah. that goes into a role like that, music like that, in order to get it so that it sounds so natural, so uh, uh, just so comfortable and the thing about when you're a cover is you don't even really know if anyone's going to get to hear you do it. Yeah, exactly. And you can't treat that preparation any differently than when you're hired to play the lead role because sometimes you have to go on. Not yeah. one time out of 100, you have to step in at 23 hours notice. <laughs> at 22 years old. When you oh, And man. you just have to sing a 17-hour opera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be a great one to get uh, from your agent, you know, to say, hey, uh... Oh, you, you got to do this singing tomorrow. Well, and you look at that, and that was from 1941, uh, and uh, 1941, right? Is that what? Yeah, I, I And I, you know, it's a different era of singer. I feel like uh, right, I yeah. don't feel like singers today. I, I think they exercise a lot of caution with their voices. So there are very few people who, at 22, would be like, "Oh, I'm going to go learn Zygmunt." Oh, I'm, I'm ready for this. Yeah, you know. Um, and so it was from an era where singers sang with their technique. 
And, you know, some people critique that. They're like, oh, I didn't want to hear Tucker sing whatever, whatever, because he sounded like Tucker singing it, which is fine. But this is from an era where one singer sang with their voice. So they sang a wide range of repertoire. Right, yeah. And two, it was also an era in which singers prepared roles without the contract. I feel like so Mm -hmm. often now... At least among, I, I'm thinking strictly here as 22-year-old singers that I know and was. Uh, there are very few people who just go learn roles to learn roles, to have roles prepared. But you know that she had this role as part of her repertoire, and that's why she was able to do it. She had already coached this. It's she already had, a nuanced take on the music, the way that she yeah. uses the color in her voice mm-hmm. in yeah, order it, to... De- inflict subtle changes in the line is and the the knowledge of the text too i mean uh my my german is incredibly rusty uh but <laughs> whoops but my uh but it is it was so so clear and so uh specific and it's a lot of text yeah mm-hmm. uh and, and you can really hear all, all the, the 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 great wagnerian uh, alliteration this like you know mm-hmm. lots of lots of good stuff uh coming in uh, off of each other yeah um Oh, and man. so with that opportunity then, yeah. she took off. She and did. She did. And this has happened continuously. I mean, it happens fairly regularly. Even a couple of years ago, there are some examples of uh, of some tenors who stepped in at the last minute if you're uh, talking about a different type of athleticism. Well, so, <laughs> so you're talking about athleticism. And so I think where you're headed with this, we have a recording, and this is not of Arnold Rawls. So in 2011 at the Met, uh, Marcello Alvarez was singing Manrico and Trovatore. Um uh, just an insanely demanding sing Trovatore for everyone involved. Um, and in this particular instance, uh, Arnold Rawls, <laughs> he didn't know that he was going on that night. And actually this happened be- between act two and three, the only intermission of the show at the Met. Um, and uh, he wasn't even in the theater when they decided that he was going to go on. And so at the beginning <laughs> of act three, the tenor, has to sing so he went on cold and then sang the back-to-back arias uh Asiben mio and then di quella pira and so physically speaking di quella pira is one of the most demanding things that a tenor can sing and it's first it's verdi and verdi loved what the tenor had to do in the passaggio and above um in order because he knew it was thrilling because there's risk there's risk yes right you gotta pace it right you gotta use a lot more muscle than mm-hmm. when you're all the way up at the top where it's really your your air and your resonance yeah. is carrying it down when you're kind of in the upper middle that's where it takes the exact right amount of finesse mm-hmm. in order to get your technique to work right and any miscalculation can can and often is and catastrophic. so <laughs> yes and so you have to be completely physically engaged and completely mentally engaged and t- to equate this to the sports last night the philadelphia eagles had a fourth and two uh, and this is right before halftime, right on the goal line, fourth and two. Most people are thinking, ah, we're up against the Patriots. We'll go into halftime. We'll take the three points, kick a field goal, and go with the lead. But sometimes you got to play to win. And so when you listen to this recording of uh, Corelli singing Di Quella Pira, you're hearing somebody uh, who's playing to win. And I love that aspect of it.
Let's go. <laughs> he's just, he is just a jock. I mean, that's I don't know what else you can say. About I was going to say that, that that Ariel put hair on your chest right now. Oh, but but like that's that's how you gotta go. You gotta walk. And Nick Foles last night in the Super Bowl walked out, no nerves, and was like, you know what? I've been preparing for this moment. <laughs> and so there were he just went and did what he had to do. And that's like Corelli went and did what he had to do. Arnold Rawls when he stepped on before Act Three went on and did what he had to do. And it's documented, too, how well it went. Just incredible singing right there. And the athleticism and the physicality is just insane. And in, and as if it weren't enough, a lot of times these people are stepping in for singers who have a really devoted fan base already. And one of the most famous examples in history is that uh, Maria Callas was singing uh, La Sonambula and needed... And, and left before an, an, addition, an extra performance that they added on. Mm-hmm. And they had her cover go on, and her cover was a singer named Renato Scotto. Who? who? Yeah, <laughs> uh, who ended up becoming really one of the top singers of her generation. Mm-hmm. But she was not particularly well-received by the audience because she... The the comparison just wasn't enough. They had, right, they yeah, had you... people who had to just scream that they missed who they were supposed... who they thought they were supposed to be seeing. Yeah, especially with the 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 Colossus fans, you know, mm-hmm. they 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 came for Colossus. They that's what they signed up for mm-hmm. for sure. They paid the, <laughs> paid the extra money in the tickets too, probably. Well, I because you're you're hoping to see someone a diva, yeah, uh, right, yeah, exactly. Who is a diva not only for the way that she sang, but the way that she was on stage. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think we have to we have to wrap up this first section here and get into uh, the next part. Uh, Oliver Camacho uh, will be playing Monday evening quarterback, and he'll be reviewing Bellini's least known opera. <laughs> uh, if only that were true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> plus, we're going to get some more chalk talk here right before that happens. Uh, that's up next, only on Opera Box Score on WNUR. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. 
Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. And we are back, gentlemen. Uh, now, uh, next up on Chalk Talk, uh, the big news uh, coming out of the Metropolitan Opera um, uh, after uh, the, uh, the the opera fired the veteran British stage director John Copley after receiving a complaint about what the company described as "quote inappropriate behavior in the rehearsal room." Um, and of course, he's uh, 84 years old. He's been uh, one of the uh, opera world's foremost directors for quite a while now. Half a century. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a while now. Um, and so this, this firing is a big deal, and it's getting a little bit of uh, backlash um, uh, in some corners. Uh, so uh, why don't uh, you take a little bit of that, Matt? So I have to say that the... The reports about this story do vary a little bit from from person to person about what exactly was said to whom. And as an outsider, I am I'm tending to be a little bit skeptical that any of the reports are getting it exactly right. Because one of the hardest things about cases like this is that uh, you often have what was intended by a comment ver- uh, being set up against its impact. Mm-hmm. And it very well could have been made as... <clears throat> As a joke, it could have been self-deprecation. It could have been just a little bit, some sort of a comment that was supposed to loosen up the, the chorus a little bit and get them joking. But for me, if someone is offended, that impact trumps the intent. And right. So, uh, And I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, I uh, The alleged uh, comment um, was kind of a, a little bit of an off-color joke about uh, nudity was implied. You know, uh, it was... It did strike. I I could see a situation in in which it would be delivered innocently, but obviously, uh, someone uh, in the chorus went to Met Management, said that 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 they had um, that they uh, felt uncomfortable, and that, and that and, is their right as it, it someone is. in a seat to have a safe space in their work, and to and to have and not even any kind of over that. There's no, in my opinion, justification for accusing this chorister of being overly sensitive or overreacting in that they experienced something that was troubling to them in a work environment and expressed that concern to their authorities. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think the chorus member uh, what behaved very appropriately um, based, on, uh, based on all the information that we have. Um, however, some are saying that um, going in and straight up firing um, uh, the person who said it um, for uh, for for something like that, you know, immediately um, might a, have been a little bit of overkill. A knee-jerk reaction. And yeah. I, Especially well, and considering, you, obviously, the, the allegations against James Levine. Uh, sure. The Met is obviously very <laughs> sensitive about these things right at the moment. They are very much in the spotlight for <laughs> exactly. not taking these comments seriously, since that was such an open secret and everyone 
everyone knew at least that it was being talked about what whatever other facts that they knew or didn't know here they're being presented with facts and they can't turn a blind eye no and maybe it's interesting to me that he was fired without a it it, okay so let's be really clear about a couple things here we don't know exactly what happened exactly what we do know is that stemming from an incident in a rehearsal this beloved director who has directed, I, I think it's... Many of it, the greats throughout right, I, for I th- generations. I think the New York Times said that his um, production of La Boheme ran for 41 years yeah. at um, Covent Garden. Um, and so this is someone who's affected positively many lives, not just of singers, uh, but also of theater goers. And so we know that he was fired almost immediately after this incident. Mm-hmm. And I think that the backlash here stems from people who weren't there or from people who think that oh you should be tougher than that and so i agree with you matt in that when somebody feels compromised in a workspace it is their right to say that they feel uncomfortable because you're there to work um at the same time i uh, there is for me i think about all the times that i've been in a rehearsal and heard things that were (laughs) You know, yeah. th- I'm not going to quote what was said because we have. I'm not sure what the source is uh, for the two. Yeah. There are two different quotes exactly. yeah. of yeah. Uh, of what was supposedly said uh, that are that vary greatly. So I'm not totally sure what was said, but based on both of them, I've been in situations in which I've heard or had said to me things that were much more oh. inappropriate than that. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that this wasn't inappropriate. Uh, but it is interesting to me, you know, the Met, because they are under this microscope and they are this supposed mecca of opera. They're walking on thin ice. And, and, they're, s- and they're probably making an example of him a little bit uh, in, terms yeah. of, in terms of the yeah, exactly. degree of the response. A, resp- a response is absolutely warranted yes. and necessary. Yes. And I, would be, I would be very interested to see um, how, how this might affect uh, his hiring at other companies. Um, cause, because, you know, obviously the Met, uh, at least in the United States, is sort of the, for better or worse, the, uh, the, the kind standard of... The standard bearer. This, yeah, exactly. Yes. So I, I, I'd be very interested to see what other companies do in... If they have a response to this, if they if they don't hire him, if they if they do hire him, but with reservations, or I I would be, I, don't, I don't know. You know, it's a fairly conservative world, and they and they te- people in the opera world tend to protect their own. So already you've seen many many singers, uh, established singers coming forward to defend Don Copley, and the uh, the response I, has I been I believe mixed. that the the union as well is yes. going to uh, pursue this as a wrongful termination. Uh, we, so we'll see what happens here. What I will say, and I think you and I have discussed this, Matt, is that it, it's it's better to see a reaction happen swiftly and perhaps, it, unfortunately, someone does have to take the fault here and someone does have to suffer. Um, but it's better to see the action happening in this manner rather than sweeping it under a rug and, and letting it be acceptable, letting people letting people being uncomfortable at rehearsal be the stand like letting that be okay is not okay and so i'm glad to see that now opera which is such a reactionary business get ahead of it uh and say that no this isn't going to be okay this isn't going to be something that we're going to accept in our rehearsal spaces and they're definitely going to need to calibrate exactly where they're going with these kinds of human resource debates just like any company is have is struggling with in the 
in the 21st century, there are different expectations and they have been changing very rapidly. And honestly, no one really knows exactly what the right answer is mm -hmm. here. And I definitely think that this situation has been comp has been complicated by uh, the, the fact that there are so many different versions of the story out there, including mm -hmm. some that are, you know, a little bit less substantiated than others, honestly, that are relying on anonymous hearsay sources or versus or maybe want to present the Met in the best light possible in order to, you know, keep up appearances in the in the media and you know help them try to save as much face as they can because yeah. it's a tough time for them and no one is saying that they want the met to go under right but it and that i don't envy them that they have that balancing act to work with right now and i hope that agma is able to work with both the chorus and Mr. right hopefully to help figure out what is the best way to mediate this situation so that we yeah, what I hope doesn't happen from from this particular situation is that I hope neither the chorister or the director uh, are are demonized in a way that end their careers. I hope that this is a a moment of learning, um, yeah, in which absolutely. both in which it can be reciprocal the learning for both sides. So. Uh, we'll see what happens here. Obviously, we'll be tracking this story as well as the rest of you know what's already gone on at the Met uh, previously, um, and we'll be watching closely. And obviously, here at WNUR on Opera Box Score, we're going to let you know what happens. <laughs> yeah, we are uh, on. Uh, we have our finger on the pulse. And as, as a matter of fact, uh, right now uh, we have a little special segment. Pass or fail. Here's Monday evening quarterback. Yeah, that's right. We got uh, we have a special guest on the radio right uh, no, on the radio. We're all we're all on the radio on the phone right now. It's uh, Oliver joining us from uh, from his car. Uh, how? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm literally in my car. I just got out of a concert at the Harris Theater in downtown Chicago. It's snowing pretty aggressively, and so this may be a snuff call. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, my last words might be here on this very show. Well, I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm. I, if if you do have to die on the air somewhere, I'm glad you're doing it here on Opera Box. <laughs> we score. all appreciate your yeah. commitment do, to I the arts, die Oliver. The way, uh, Antonia dies and Tales of Hoffman. I want to die in singing a long your last. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, if if you start to see yourself sliding towards another car, just give us your best high note. And uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay. So speaking of high notes, what are you calling to tell us about? Well, um, first of all, Anthony Clark Evans, uh, Lawrence Brownlee, and Ryan Opera Center soprano and Toomey just gave a great winter concert at the Harris Theater, and I wish we could talk about that. But instead, I want to tell you about I Puritani, uh, which had its prima yesterday afternoon, uh, same day as the Super Bowl. And uh, this production is about 40 years old, maybe 40-plus years old. Mm. Uh, it's, very, it's very old, and it was designed for, I think, uh, Joan Sutherland, and Pavarotti, uh, conducted I by Richard Bonnick, if I'm not mistaken. But at any rate, uh, it's a beautiful production, and it's held up pretty well. The costumes look really detailed. Uh, the painted sets are still really vibrant looking. And, uh, yeah, the design overall really does give the suggestion of this era in English history, which I know nothing about. And well, that's one thing I have to say about this show. Uh, I've seen it before, but, but if you don't know your English history... Do a little bit of reading because it's sort of complicated. Um, and, sort of. Uh, it's, yeah. It's sort of too much plot for a Belcanto opera, if you ask me. 
Yeah, but, uh, well, I feel like that's kind of a, a kind of a trend, though. I feel like uh, a lot of uh, bel canto operas, uh, you know, they, they. I just feel like um, they're like oh, they they know you're here to see to to just hear the people sing. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they 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 do feel compelled to keep like throwing. This is why they're singing, you know. At a certain yeah. point, you're just like uh, put in a song cycle and call it a day, you know. Uh, <laughs> How many weird twists? Well, this can show you have? is being marketed as uh, you know. If you love Lucia, then you'll love Ipuritani, you mm-hmm. know, because it's did got you the love, high notes. Did you love Lucia and do you love Puritani? Yeah. Well, they. The thing is that Lyric Opera has brought in this Russian soprano Albina Shagimirotova. She seems to be like the bel canto diva of lyric opera. And, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to be kind in 2018. That's <laughs> my goal in life. Um, and I'll say in, out of kindness that Shagi Morotova delivers when the music gets hard. When you need high notes, when you need, you know, fast passage work, and you need to be heard over a loud orchestra and a full ensemble, she's your girl. Uh, but if you're looking for uh, pathos or acting mm. or detailed language, it's not, uh, not so much I'll leave it right there. Yeah. Well, I feel like that might be somewhat appropriate for a 40-plus-year-old production. You know, it's a, that's very much of the Park and Bark era. Um, I, I, I don't know how, how dynamic but, a setting like that could be. But you're definitely wanting to keep it fresh. And that, right. I would say, from my experience, is one of Larry Brownlee's strengths. Yeah. So, Oliver, tell us about, <laughs> tell us about my boy. <laughs> Oliver, tell us about Larry Brownlee. I can't hear Do. Matt. What is Matt asking me? How, he, 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 he's completely disregarding Puritani and asking you about Lawrence Brownlee. I want to know how Larry... Okay, so let's, that's the other thing. Like This show is being billed as a, showpiece, a showcase for Lawrence Brownlee. And Lawrence Brownlee delivers in this show. Like if you're looking for high notes, if you're looking for glorious tone, if you're looking for really exciting singing, uh, Larry Brownlee does that for you. And, yes. um, yeah, Oliver, no this is Oliver. It's Toby with, here. So, uh, Larry Brownlee's singing in this show. Um, so as uh, a tenor, yeah, as a tenor, that's, that's where I'll leave that. But I have to tell you that like the most exciting number Oliver, was the duet between the baritone, the, uh, Giorgio and, uh, whatever that character's name is, Rodrigo or something like that, uh, between Anthony Clark Evans and the Romanian baritone uh, Adrian Semperaton or Sempatrian. I don't know how to say his name. Um, I have to say that this Adrian Sempatrian, if I'm saying his name correctly, to me, he stole the show. Uh, mm. He's a very handsome guy. He's got Always you know, a plus. worthy, dark Romanian good look. Uh, he knows how to tape a phrase. Uh, his tone was beautiful, and he, out of all the people on the stage, really knew how to fill out his costume. And I'm not trying to be vulgar here, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that this is a period performance or, or period, you know, costumes. And, like, you know, people have puffy sleeves and, like, big collars, and, you know, the women have big skirts. And there's something about the way we behave as 21st century human beings that just does not comport with costumes like that. And I mm. really wish that all of the choristers and soloists had been given training and how to behave on stage when you're wearing a gigantic costume and how to just take up space, you know? And uh, Andrian, or Adrian Sempatran really knew how to fill up his costume and how to walk in the tempo of the music and how to just like use all of the prelude and postlude to give stage beauty. And that meant 
so much to me because this production, as you already suggested, is a Park and Bark production. Mm. And if you are just singing your aria then walking off stage, uh, it doesn't feel like anything, you know? Yeah, you, and this guy, he's, if you're just going to wa- uh, walk on stage and walk off, you got to look good while you're doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> um, that, he gets my, my top rating for this show. See it for Larry Brownlee's high notes, but uh, definitely if you're looking for, like, a full character and music making. Uh, it's this guy whose name I should probably learn how to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos also to um, Ryan Opera Center um, contralto Lauren Decker. It's her second year in the Ryan Opera Center, and she's got a gorgeous voice. And she plays the small but important role of uh, Queen uh, Henrietta or uh, Henrietta. And uh, God bless her. She's a very tall woman. I think she's like six two or something like that. And, uh, you know, some of the people in the chorus are, you know, five-something. They're on my height. And Larry Brownlee is like 5'4 five, or 5'3. Five, so to have this woman stand a foot taller than everybody else on stage is, is pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, and she sounded great. Yeah, it's, I always feel sorry for uh, the, uh, particularly, it tends to be like the, the, the really short high tenors. You know, they always get the, the nice romantic leads and yeah. the, the, the soprano just kind of towers over them. It, it's <laughs> yep. not something I can really relate to because, you know, I've... Because you're a giant human. I do. Yeah. Uh, for, for listeners who don't know me, I, I have hit my head on uh, more more door frames than most people have seen in their lives. I just see <laughs> a go through, boom, concussion. It's not great. Um uh, but uh, it's a good thing that uh, I am mentally sound enough to be running this show at the moment because uh, uh, it, it's, cl- it's a close thing sometimes. You would be great uh, on the stage of the opera as a supernumerary. You know? <laughs> I wow, Oliver, what a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. I, I, I know my, uh, my, my, voice is, my vocal technique is a little, a little uh, dicey at times. You, don't, you couldn't sing a high F on stage, you don't well, think? Well, um, there's, I was just reading this article in the Washington Post this weekend about a 17-year-old basketball player from Romania who's now uh, training in America. He's seven foot seven. Seven oh, foot seven. That's incredible. He was like six one when he was ten years old or something. Bless his heart. Yeah, the pictures of him have most other people up to his waist, just about. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard enough, you know. Uh, uh, in my uh, in my apartment, we have this this mirror on the wall that is uh, too tall for my roommate and too short for me, so it's completely useless. You know, and, and this guy just everything's too short for him. Seven foot seven. Oh yeah. goodness! I wonder. I wonder what the tallest <laughs> opera singer of all time was. We should look that up for next week. That's the next segment. I'm, That's I'm a good George, George Hedequist question. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, yeah. Oliver, uh, this is Toby. Would you recommend going to see this show for people in Chicago who have the opp- opportunity to go see it? Can I hear that question from you, Weston? Oh, uh, yeah. We're having some uh, technical difficulties here in the yeah. studio as far as the mics go. Uh, Toby wanted to know, would you recommend this show to people who want to go see it? That's a good question. I mean, I think people who like Ipuritani... They know what they're getting themselves into. I'm not sure if it's an opera for everybody. There are definitely some great tunes, and there is some really glorious singing, but it's got long patches of bel canto, just kind of fluff, mm. that um, are not that dramatically compelling. And the stage, I have to say, I know I get like my media comp from Lyric Opera, and I should like say only nice things, but um, the stage direction needs some freshening up. It was borderline camp. Mm. Well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it was. Uh, you, did you go on opening night? I went yesterday. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe that'll clear up a little bit as uh, as things go on. But uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I've I've seen. Uh, I, I feel like lyric does tend to have. They tend to have fairly good stage pictures, but the the movement off. I, I agree does seem seem to be a little bit stilted at times, uh, particularly for repertoire work- like this. And when you're working with something but that's it, this old, I, I lay it at the feet of the director because I've seen lyric opera chorus do really great movement and be really engaged in their parts. But I've like just like the crowd scenes here in this show are just sometimes unwatchable. Right. Well, uh, I know I have friends in the course who are listening to this. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, even if Oliver does not. Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much for calling in, Oliver. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll have you actually in the studio next time instead of uh, uh, try not to die on your drive home. Uh, (laughs) And uh, if you do, make sure you record uh, record it and we'll play it back next week uh, for all of our (laughs) listeners. All right. right, Thank you so much, Oliver. See you around. (laughs) Bye. I'd say goodbye, but he wouldn't respond anyway. Yeah, I've never say. felt so ignored in my entire life. <laughs> Just over here screaming uh, at Oliver. I have questions about Puritani. I want to know things about I Larry Brownlee. I need uh, to know what the high F sounded just wanna, like. You know, I, I'm in charge. I'm hogging the only functional mic. It's what I, it's, you know, that's, that, that's how it goes. All Our right, well. would never do this. Moving on here. <laughs> moving on here. Uh, uh, for the next segment, um, you may know him as uh, Frazier, but in real life he's known as Kelsey Grammer, was in an opera this week. Uh, we'll find out which one that is in the two-minute drill. That's next on America's talk radio show about opera, period, only on WNUR Evanston, Chicago. Live. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in the two minute drill. The ever messy Candide, which went through 35 years of revision from the Broadway stage to the Opera House to the concert hall, right up into the last year of Bernstein's life, has always been right for its current moment. It's playing now at the LA Opera with an unusual uh, guest uh, 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 star um, who is Kelsey Grammer from the show Frasier. Um, The Paris Opera's 2018-2019 season offers no fewer than 11 new productions, including one that will eventually find its way to the Metropolitan Opera. Exit stage right, Robert Rattray, the Metropolitan Opera's assistant general manager responsible for artistic administration, has died after suffering a stroke. He was 67. And on this day, February 5th, it was the premiere of Verdi's Otello in Milan at Teatro alla Scala in 1887. And that is your two-minute drill. 
All right, let's get some uh, hot takes from everyone in the studio here. Uh, Toby, you want to grab one? Uh, I love the on this day because uh, I love Otello. Oh, yeah. And I, I love Verity. So I'm just like, whoop, glad that happened. <laughs> uh, the other thing, too, that I'm going to take away, and this isn't really a, a hot take, but 11 new productions at Paris Opera. I wonder, so Paris Opera performs in two different opera houses, Correct. usually. They, right. they, there's the, the classical old Garnier and then the Bastille, which, <clears throat> which is a lot more modern. Right. And Both good houses, by the way. But yes. they, they tend to focus their repertoire a little bit based on, you know, older stuff, more fancy stuff kind of gets done in the Garnier and Bastille. And the Bastille is their main opera house. Sure. Uh, and I kind of, I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking at their list of season and they're doing a Rameau opera, which really never, ever gets done in America, and a Scarlatti opera, mm. and... Uh, Prince Igor and Don Giovanni, Lady Macbeth of Sense District. Oh, like yeah. it's a it's a season that is way. We talked about L.A. Opera having a bold season. This guy is all over the map. They're doing uh, Les Troyens, which is uh, which at, they did at Lyric uh, last year, and yep. is about five hours long when you do the whole thing. And <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's just very ambitious. And uh, on top, and they're doing the Huguenots too, a Meyer beer opera, which hardly. Ah, uh, when done. is the last time somebody did Les Uno? Probably I mean, about that's, uh, that's... 1926, <laughs> yeah, like... I would say. It might be more might be more pop. I mean, uh, well, I guess, no. Uh, it, it, it's, it's all the, the grand opera, and it's very French. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, it's my beer's kind of having a moment right now. People are going back and saying, well, maybe there's more here than people. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the the next revival up on the schedule is going to be the early romantic stuff yeah, we like got that. Through, we got through Bel Canto. We got through Baroque. Now it's time to find someone else who's been overlooked. And it's, I mean, it's just a long evening. Some of it is great and some of it is not, but they are marathons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Several marathon shows. That's awesome, though. I, yeah. I love that. And if you're going to bring stuff back, bring it back and do it in a different way than you've done it before. And I appreciate that. So that's exciting. Speaking of unusual programming, uh, Candide, uh, starring Kelsey Grammer uh, yeah. as... He's playing uh, Pangloss. Yeah, who would have thought that it would be a good idea to cast Kelsey Grammer as an arrogant but benevolent professor? <laughs> that really just seems like it, way it, out of left field. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's more or less the stage rather than the actual casting <laughs> that you. Know. It's per- I think it's absolutely perfect. I've never heard casting. him sing. Uh, it, he's good. He said, "Well, he sang in the Anastasia movie back mm-hmm. in the oh, day." Oh, well, who is he? Yeah. He's in, Vladimir in the Anastasia <laughs> really? movie. Really? Oh my goodness! And he just did the revival. This is of, why. Uh, this is why I play bar trivia with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> he did, knows stuff that nobody else knows. That's he did amazing. the revival of La Cage Full a couple of years ago, also on Broadway. So he's he's got chops. He's got chops for yeah. sure. And um, they, it, it's kind of a hybrid piece anyway. So it's not quite a musical, not right. quite an opera, really not even quite an operetta. It really. And it depends on which version you're doing, because if you read the list of the people who collaborated on trying to create this piece they, of theater with also music, it's like a who's who of Broadway. And it... Yeah. yeah. Well, it's Hellman, interesting, Wheeler, it's interesting the different recordings that do exist, though, of Candide. I gotta say, I kind of per- I prefer it more as a... Not as an opera, but I like a little bit of classical roundness to the singing because right. I feel like if you um, this and, and this is just my opinion, I feel like when it's done with music theater singers, the music feels like it's uh, it takes away from the 
grandiose aspect and the beauty of some. If you of can tell that they're not having an easy time with it, because it's really challenging. Music, yeah, it's really difficult, for, yeah, especially for non-classically trained singers. It's it's it's. Uh, th- I mean, it just changes the entire sound. Because most musical not. theater singers are not Barbara Cook, who can just no. pop out high notes <laughs> and yeah. while she's fainting, sing a C sharp. <laughs> But then but, on the other end of that spectrum is like Jerry Hadley singing it, and you're like, okay, calm down. This is not. This is maybe not quite the idiom either. <laughs> so I actually am a big fan of the concert performance that they did maybe ten years ago at Lincoln Center with Kristen Chenoweth and uh, Paul. Yeah, Groves. I saw. I yeah. saw. I saw Paul a clip Groves on YouTube is, of that. It, that's a great. And they, I mean, they like semi. They acted it yeah. out, and they had some costumes and stuff. That's a and fun then, one. I'd say this is the same kind of idea. I would definitely be interested in seeing it, and you know, figuring out, trying to figure out what version of it they're doing and uh what on earth it's trying to say because it's based on a voltaire novella. yeah yeah i know i know the novella very well i read it in high school uh because that is where i one reads all the great works of literature yeah. uh and it, it's 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 very very different from the book and uh, the, it's it's the, the the bernstein is much more optimistic Mm-hmm. Um, which is ironic because the book was originally uh, written as uh, a, 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 to refute the philosophical position of optimism, which is a whole different thing. And I'm not going to bring my philosophy degree into this. But, but that kind uh, of satire is really hard to stage in a way that oh, communicates yeah. to the audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. What, uh, I mean, frankly, I don't know what Bernstein was thinking when he, when he was like, let's make this. Uh, well, that's why say re- he was not a man of ambition. I yeah. was going to say, well, that's why the revisions <laughs> took 25 years, yeah. you know, because he wasn't sure what he was thinking either. Oh, and speaking of Razor, um, the uh, uh, I, I just saw that one of the the cast members of the of the Fraser show, uh, John Mahoney, the father. Yeah, yeah, he he, he just died uh, away just, today. Yeah, today. So, uh, um, one slightly more upbeat uh, piece of Fraser news, and one a little bit less. Um, but uh, <laughs> who knew we were going to talk about Fraser? Well, if there's any the TV character that really belongs on an opera podcast, it's Fraser. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. more than one episode about them going to the <laughs> opera house to see. Such and such, and so many jokes about it, which I'm sure uh, would land with about seven percent of the audience who was. Yeah, well, it. if we if we want if we want to uh, expand our audience here, we could also mention that Kelsey Grammer was one of the X Men at one point. You know, that's that's hip. The youth know the X Men, right? The youth. Uh, are any are uh, any of us the youth anymore? I don't think we're the youths. I'm closest youth. to being a youth, so I I say it, I say it flies. Did you just call us old? Yeah, I call. Listen, I'm gonna not call us old. I'm gonna mug you in the parking lot <laughs> after this. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good thing this is going out on the air. Uh, feel free to uh, call in and save me um, after the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that number is eight four seven eight six six nine six eight seven. <laughs> that is eight four seven eight six six W. Please help. Please help. Uh, so the other piece of news, uh, another piece of sad news. Uh, Robert Rattray, uh, the Metropolitan Opera's assistant general manager um, uh, for artistic administration, uh, has died as well. Um, uh, also very sad news there. Another kind of um, a lot of a lot of turmoil at the Met it's with with the firing, um, with the firing of uh, the the. Oh, I've already forgotten his name from earlier in the in the in the John show. Copley. John oh, yeah, Copley. exactly. John Copley and uh, and James then. Of course, yeah. Levine before that. Um, you and know, they're interesting. They're, they're, it's so public. But those are two related but vastly different circumstances. Yes. Um, and I don't know if we really talked about that. or oh, We don't have to get into it again. But. <laughs> yeah, this is just the two-minute drill. We, we, we don't need to get into the the whole entire thing. Um, yeah, so uh, this is, uh, yeah, so so basically I think the, uh, the, the, the main takeaways for this week 
our uh, uh, Frasers and an opera now. Uh, and uh, and uh, Candide is just a, a mess of a, of a book turned into a little bit of a mess of a musical operetta opera thing. And, and we're going to send Oliver to Paris. And yeah. get some media tickets to see eleven oh, new productions. Oh man, that'd be great! <laughs> oh, I'd be down for that. He would have so much to say I, I, <laughs> that I, none I, of us would be able to hear, <laughs> and he wouldn't respond if we had questions, anyway. Fun fact about me: uh, um, I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, Paris, get the Garnier Opera yes. House, the older one. I have. Um, I have as well. Uh, Ooh, George, take a drink. George, drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I once sat in the very last row in the very top balcony, and uh, fun fact, um, my uh, my legs are too big for that seat, so um, I had uh, this French guy's head just like right in the middle of my legs. Well, if just only you were a pocket-sized tenor like <laughs> like Larry Bentley, that would solve a problem. What do you? What if do I you had a nickel for every time I had a French man's head in between my legs, <laughs> I. <laughs> I wouldn't have any nickels. <laughs> oh man! Oh, yeah, can't, I'm glad we can't be fired from this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, I'm, I'm in charge now. I can fire whoever I want. You're all fired. It's just my show now. Um, all right. So uh, I think that's about all we uh, time we have for the two minute drill. Let's get into good call, bad call. Whoop! But well, first I have to hit the right button. Good call, bad call. On Opera Box Score. What do we got? Any good calls? Bad call? Uh, this week, Chicago Opera Theater uh, opens on the 10th with Elizabeth Cree. I believe that's Saturday. Uh, it's another collaboration uh, by the, the, what would we call hardest this? Ma- hardest working librettist in show business. <laughs> so it's true. true. <laughs> uh, so the composer, Kevin Putz, and then librettist, Mark Campbell, friend of the show, Mark Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that's... Uh, a world premiere collaboration is what they're calling it, uh, but that star- uh, opens at COT on Saturday. It's going to be on a great tip? production. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. pretty excited. I'm actually going to see it. That's my good oh, call. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, we're just going to kind of uh, pile up on here. And if you and if you aren't seeing that on the 10th, you could also you could always go to uh, your local movie theater and see the Met Live and HD broadcast of The Elixir of Love by Donizetti, uh, which I have not seen in years. Uh, I believe the last time I saw it, I was literally 10 years old, which is... It's a fun one, and you really can't beat Matthew Polanzani. Yeah. But speaking of a club of my favorite tenors of all time, why don't you say, what do you say we uh, we go out on a high note and celebrate one more underdog story? All right, all right, hit me me, me real quick. Let's go to Javier Camarena, who stepped in for Juan Diego Flores about four years ago in one of his signature roles of Don Ramiro of Tenerentola, and we got a little clip of him in the dress rehearsal. Oh, hang on. One, se- one second. Who was that? Camarena? Camarena. Yeah, here we go. Here he is.
and literally ending the show on a high note there. See what I did there? It's a high I note. I do. Because it was a high note. I do, I do. It was a high there note, a and note we're ending that on was a high note. Man's got high note. notes for days. <laughs> Talk about athleticism. Hi. Oh. All right, I'm cutting you off. This is my show again, and we're closing out for the day, but thank you all so much for listening. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera, period. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Woodell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Matt Cummings, I'm Weston Williams, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, especially now that football season is officially over and you have all that time on your hands. We're back on Monday, February 12th at 9 p.m. Central when librettist Mark Campbell joins us live via phone, plus George Cedarquist and Oliver Camacho return to the show and spoil all the fun. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.